good morning, CCSC. Um, you know, our church celebrated its seven year a few years ago, and um, that was a, a really, really special day in the life of our church. So it is a, an absolute honor to be able to stand here with you, worship with you uh, on such a special uh, occasion. And so uh, as we look at God's word together, um, I hope uh, that you will be encouraged. I hope it'll add uh, to your reflections, uh, but also your celebration of just how God, how good God has been to your church. Your, your staff are just really good friends of mine. And so it's always an honor to be at a church where uh, when I come and share the word as well, it's just, it's alongside uh, people who are like-minded with same passions, convictions. Uh, so it's really great to be here. Also, uh, I can't really see you guys too well, but I'm pretty sure uh, I'll be seeing some familiar faces on my way out. And so uh, hopefully we can say hi because uh, just of how small uh, this world really is. Uh, I'm gonna be uh, preaching from James chapter one, uh, verses 19 to 27. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, so if you um, are, are going to be looking on a Bible app, or I'm not sure if it's going to be posted behind me, uh, but uh, I'll be reading from the ESV. If you can choose your translation and like to sync up with me, you can go there. This is the reading of God's Word. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceive uh, his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Amen. Uh, Pastor Harold actually asked me to talk about, um, uh, to address and to apply the gospel uh, to the ever-changing needs, desires, and culture of the next generation. And I really appreciated the thoughtfulness of this topic for your seven-year anniversary. Uh, because while I, I am not equipped to help you celebrate, uh, I haven't been here, your leadership, uh, you yourselves as members of this community, you, much, uh, in a, uh, you know much better how God has been working in your midst. And I will leave that to you as a church to recall that, to uh, think on it, uh, but to thank him, uh, to uh, reflect on that and worship him for just the goodness that he's shown you as a church for the last seven years. But anytime anyone, a marriage, an institution, a, a, the body of Christ, when we reach certain milestones, it is very important to reflect back but also to look ahead. And what I, I hope to do today is to help you look ahead as a church uh, to look at how do you as a church take the gospel uh, into a context that is ever-changing. 
This is an important topic uh, for at least three reasons. Number one, uh, our culture is changing faster than ever before. Uh, I don't know how many of you are old enough to see and discern uh, just how quickly it's changed. I'm 43 years old. I've been on planet Earth for four decades now. And I I can tell you that in the last 10 years of my life, I have seen more changes in culture and in our country and in this world than the 30 years years that uh, preceded it combined. And I don't, this is not hyperbole. So, sociologists, uh, uh, anthropologists have all made the same observation about the society in which we live today. If you don't believe me uh, and you're skeptical or cynical of pastoral hyperbole and exaggeration for effect, all I ask you to do is go back and think about what fashion has been like in our country. Uh, If you go back to the 50s, there is a distinct fashion. If you go back to the 60s, there is a distinct fashion. If you go to the 70s, it's all about bell bottoms and flowery shirts and big collars. Uh, You can maybe see pictures of your parents. uh, And it is very easily uh, and readily, uh, we're able to identify uh, what marked the fashion world during those decades. Even the 80s, if you guys remember, the jean jackets, uh, the men uh, wearing, you know, pants that go tighter at the ankle called cabarichis, and and, and women wore stretchy pants back then, and leg warmers, and all of that. It was very, very distinct in what it was. There was no, it was undeniable. But once you hit the 90s, fashion began to change so quickly that it actually becomes really hard to identify. And from that point forward, what exactly is the fashion of our, uh, of our, of our country? Uh, there are two industries that I would never work in, um, and that is technology and fashion, because it changes so fast, I would never be able to stomach uh, just the ongoing change that happens within those industries. Uh, but not, it's not just the fact this topic is important because culture is changing fast, but because it is my conviction, it is my belief, it has been my experience that almost every sphere of life comes down to people learning how to manage change well right? Change is a reality. There is nothing you can do and I can do to stop it. And so therefore, because of that, those who have healthy marriages, those who are raising their children in a healthy way, those who are leading organizations and ministries and businesses effectively, those who are social workers and teachers and researchers, it is literally change or die. I think about my marriage the fact that I've been married for almost 20 years now. And I can tell you that uh, while it was important to learn uh, important gospel principles like forgiveness, right? Marriage is the foundation of marriage. The foundation upon which a marriage stands or falls is the ability to biblically forgive the person who has hurt you. But I will also say this, it's not just the foundation, but we have been given tools. Like every one of you have probably, those of you who are married, have at least heard of love languages, right? And uh, when you think about love languages, words of affirmation, quality time, uh, uh, you know, acts of service, receiving gifts, uh, and you prioritize them, it's very important to know how the, person, the people in your lives receive love. But I would say this, what is equally important to knowing what your love language is, is also to know that your love language will change. 
When I got married, my wife's number five least important love language was acts of service. In fact, it was so low a priority for her that she would get annoyed when I did the dishes. She would say, get out of the kitchen, go watch ESPN. I got this. This is my domain. I know you're not trying to be sexy. You're trying to be a modern man. You're trying to love me. I appreciate it, but just get out of my kitchen. Okay? Now, 20 years later, five kids later, I do the dishes and she, she just says, you're a man of God. <laughs> you are wonderfully, fearfully made, Alex, and you are a gift to this family. Things change. When you look at uh, relationships or parenting, I, I've been, uh, my oldest daughter, my oldest child is applying to college right now. Can you believe that? I, I, I can't believe that my oldest child is applying to college and, and all the changes. And you say, you know what? Uh, like I, I, all the things that they're going through, their body's changing, their voices are changing, their hearts are changing, their personalities are evolving and changing. And I can tell you as a father and partnering with my wife to raise these kids in an ever-changing society, but also also within themselves, an ever-changing reality, we had to change, we had to adapt, we had to really consider and, and what is going on and learn how to manage that change well. When it comes to the workplace, when it comes to churches, a lot of us, we don't really uh, uh, want to accept that we have to manage change. And so what we resort to is something very, very deadly, which is we reflect on the good old days. Man, remember when my wife used to be quiet? You remember when my husband used to be attentive? Man, do you remember when my teenage kids used to be so little and they never talked back? Oh, the good old days. Do you remember when our church was like this? Do you remember when our schools were like this? Do you remember when America was like this? Nothing kills the future of anything than the delusion that everything was better before. This is a very important topic that I've been asked to speak on as you reflect looking ahead. The third thing that I want to share with you, why it's so important to talk about this today at your seven-year anniversary is because 99% of the people in this world hate change. Hate it. If you don't believe me and you're cynical and you don't want to trust me because you don't know me, I'll tell you this. Just take a three-year-old kid, pull them out of the school that they're in, drop them into a new school, and you will see human nature manifest like you've never seen before. Children, adults, we don't like change. All the ice cream, all Baskin Robbins has to do is change their milk vendor who, to make their ice cream, and it will send this country into a frenzy. I don't know why I said that so passionately. <laughs> I'm like kind of hungry right now. Tinker with a recipe, change a system, alter the rules, modify the look, and all of a sudden you will come face to face with people who are so resistant to that change. You know, the most commanded commandment in Scripture is not read the Bible. It's not pray. It's not even worship the Lord your God. It is not to give praise. It is not to serve. The most repeated commandment in all of Scripture is fear not. 
And it's not because that commandment is the most important. It's not. I would argue that worship the Lord your God with all your heart, to love him or to love neighbor. There, I mean, there are many things that are more important than fear not. But the reason why it's repeated is not because of it's a, a priority in the kingdom, but because God is so gracious and so attentive. He knows the hearts of his people. He knows that you and I live every day in fear. We live every day, and I would say this, fear and change go hand in hand. Look at our political climate, our economic climate, our social climate. It is driven by fear, associated with change. As a church that has been faithful for seven years with the gospel, to continue in that faithfulness is to make a commitment today to say, Lord, I will learn, I will accept the change, I will deal with the change, and I will manage this change through the gospel in the trust and faith that just as you have been faithful then, you will be faithful today. It is holding on to the promises of God, realizing that despite these things, these realities of change, that he's with us. You see, I want to go back and I want to reverse what I just said. I want you to think about this. Number one, it is a fact people don't like change. Number two, it is a fact that because of that, we don't manage change well. And it is also a fact that we live in an ever-changing world that is changing faster than it ever has before. And it's only going to get faster. No wonder we're stressed. No wonder we're confused. No wonder we're angry. No wonder we're frustrated. No wonder we are insecure. We are scared. So into this, I've been asked to speak to how we can understand the gospel, experience the gospel, and then preach the gospel as a church to an ever-changing world, to an ever-changing self. You see, friends, I am, I am convinced that the answer lies in James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. And I think it's very, very simple. That the way that we take the gospel into the next seven years is that you and I must, we must commit to being slow to speak and quick to listen. That we have to be slow to speak and quick to listen. James offers us two things we must listen to, one that is very clear and one that you have to read between the lines. The first one is that you and I, if we're going to navigate change, we must hear, we must listen, we must be attentive to the perfect law of God, the word of God that, that James says brings liberty, not something you normally associate with law. But the second thing that he says is that he shares that not only the word teaches this, but he actually kind of extracts it out and says, you got to listen to the people around you. He says, true religion is this, is not going to church, uh, or, you know, I mean, you should go to church, but, but it's not, uh, true religion isn't grounded in that, that true religion that pleases God is this, that you are attentive, you see the needs of the people around you, you pay attention, you hear the cries of your city, your neighborhoods, the people that God has placed in your midst, we must become listeners of the word of God, but also to the world in which God has situated us. But this is a great challenge because when you and I, if you are like me, we define listening in two ways that are not helpful. 
Number one, listening is letting people talk. Most of our listening and or is, is waiting to talk. Isn't that what listening is for us? Listening is like, okay, okay, fine, Michelle, talk, okay, you got some complaints about me? Go ahead, I'll let you talk. And she goes on and on and starts firing down the list of, you know, my sins and transgressions. And, and uh, you know, and I, and I just sit there and I say, okay, okay. And then on a good day, on a good day, I just say, no, no, I'm sorry. On a bad day, I say, oh, you got your list. I got my list too, girl. Oh, you got sins. You got lots of sins. And I have a very good memory. Or listening is just waiting to talk. That's me. You guys know the jump rope? Like, you know, when you're a kid, you know, Cinderella, and, you know, you come in and you, know, you, start, you start doing this thing. Like, and for me, that's, that's the perfect image of my listening. You start talking, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just waiting for the right moment to jump in and start telling my stories and start telling my political views and share the Bible verses that I think are really cool and share my insight. That's what I do. So it's not enough for me to stand up here and say, guys, listen, listen. Because for most of you, you are like me and your listening is not listening at all. You see, the gospel does not call us ultimately to all these little moral things that make us really good people. That you shouldn't lie, tell the truth, listen to other people, listen to God. It's not a, a series of just moral commandments from God. No, ultimately there's this great commandment that you and I are called to love. And all the other little commandments are arranged under the great commandment to love. And so when we think about listening, it's actually a call to love. And love, it is not enough to sit back and say, I love you, Michelle, and I'm just going to let you talk once a day. Look, psychologists say women need 30,000 words to feel good. Men need 10,000. Most families now have both working parents, and they say you use about 10,000 words during work. Which means that when I come home from work, I'm done. <laughs> and Michelle has 20,000 words. Oh, so many words. And they don't start at 9 a.m. It starts at 6 p.m. to about 10 p.m. So it's 20,000 words. And Just do the math. It's ridiculous. And then they roll over. <laughs> That's the problem. It's like a good cell phone company. The, the minutes roll over. I'm like, I'm, my, my listening deficit is like the American national debt. It's just ridiculous. And so you have this idea that it, we're called to love. And so let me say this. In the context of listening, what that means is that you and I are not called to let God talk. You don't just crack open your Bible, blah, 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 let, him, let him talk, let him talk, and then close the Bible and go on about your life. Or you're not called to wake up in the morning and just let your wife talk, let your kids talk. What we are called to do is to understand. And that takes a lot of work. 
I'd like to offer you just some very, very practical things to do individually that I hope will collectively result in a greater impact in the gospel the next seven years of your ministry as a church. And that is number one, ask clarifying questions. You will be amazed that if you just do that one thing I told you, just ask a clarifying question, what do you mean you don't understand? You will be amazed to find out, number one, just how wrong your assumptions have been. Number two, you will realize that for most people, they very rarely mean the first thing they said. To understand, not to let them speak. Can I also ask you to ask probing questions? To be an active listener, not just waiting for your moment to talk, but to literally say, can you give me an example of what you mean? I'm not sure that I fully get what you're saying. Probing questions, clarifying questions, uh, 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 reflecting back to people what you heard. This is what I hear you saying. Acknowledging how they feel. Love seeks to help others by not only listening and gaining an understanding ourselves of the people that we're listening to, but also to help others to gain an understanding of themselves. We just got back from a small group leaders retreat and there I had four, I led them through four prayer exercises, four prayer sessions. After each session, I broke up the group, the small group leaders into groups of three and three of them, uh, session, prayer session one ended, they prayed and then they had to reflect with each other what that experience was like and what I told them was this is that two of you will share and one of you will listen and all you will do is regurgitate what you heard the other person saying. And then the next prayer session you'll rotate. The other person now becomes a listener and then now you become a speaker. And so everyone will be a listener. Everyone will be a speaker. And what we all was amazed, the, the, uh, the data, the, the data that emerged from that simple discipline was striking. That virtually every person at their first attempt of communicating what they wanted to say all departed from that original thing because we probed, we clarified, and then we understood. And so what we did in doing that was give people the greatest gift that God has ever given us, which is the gift of presence. That God is in Christ with us. You see, friends, preaching the gospel after listening is so much more effective, not only as a preacher, but as a people following Jesus, that when we hear our spouses, when we understand our children, when we take time to understand why did the church leadership decide this? Why did my company make this move? When you take time to understand, it is only then that you and I can be truly effective with the greatest gift we've given, been given as a humanity, which is the, the gospel. But unfortunately, the gospel in many areas is, uh, uh, is the gospel's not impotent, but churches have been impotent to enact a, a powerful renewal in their areas because honestly, it's not because the power of the gospel is lost, it's because we, we don't listen. We're giving answers to questions that no one's asking because we're all confronted with the inefficiency of love. 
We're also told to listen to the word of God. This is critical. You see, because if I end my sermon where I just ended it, you may, maybe you have some, a couple tools. Maybe it kind of gives you a quick fix for your marriage. And, you know, what I just said, honestly, you could just go to Barnes & Noble and find it in the psychology or self-help section. I, I understand. I'm aware of that. The difference between the gospel and morality is not always in what you do, but why you do it and what is the source that drives it. And so I want to argue that when, when James says, listen to the word, be slow to speak, listen to the word of God, but also listen to the people around you. Our listening must not be rooted in the desire to be good or even effective people, but rather our listening must be rooted in our experience of the gospel. My youngest daughter, Teresa, loves playing the game, Would You Rather?, it just bothers me so much. Would you rather be a horse or a unicorn? Say, like, I don't care. <laughs> and you guys think I'm exaggerating. No, literally, like when my daughter's up, I'm like, I, I, I don't care. One day, I pick her up from school. She says, Daddy, would you rather? And I was like, oh, And she said, just can you, can you, let me finish. <laughs> Would you rather never be able to speak another word again? Or would you rather be unable to stop talking? And I said, this is so stupid, I'm not going to answer your question. <laughs> Go to your room, do your homework. This thing is not going to get you a job. Go upstairs, do your homework, stop messing around. I'm serious. And I sent her up to her room. I sat at my desk doing some church work, and then the Holy Spirit said, you're a bad father. <laughs> One of the only times I heard the voice of God. You're a very bad father. So the Spirit grieved and convicted me of my sin. I called my daughter Teresa down, and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to think about your question. I'm going to give you an answer. Based on everything that I've understood from the word of God, I believe the better choice would be to never speak again. Because if I can't stop talking, I will cut myself off from one of the most important things, and that is to hear and listen and learn and know. And she was like, uh, okay, all right. <laughs> Thanks for that uh, weird answer, but uh, can I go now? The reason why I share that story is because I, I believe in God. I'm, I, I'll take a bullet for that belief. I hope I don't have to, but I would. I believe in God with all my heart but I don't like the way he talks, if I'm honest with you. I know we have the word of God. This is, I know, this is CCSA. You guys are like our church. We're a high view of scripture. It is the word of God. We believe all of that. But I, I mean, I, I just, I, it's, I, it's not, you know, it should be enough, but it's not enough. I, I just want to text once in a while from God. God never emails. He never calls, never writes letters, never DMs. PMs, dings, pings, or rings me. 
I just wish for once, like, I, like, like something like, you know, like, hey, Alex, I know everybody fell asleep during your sermon, but I thought it was good. I have no clue what God thinks of me as a pastor. Like, I, I have no idea how I'm doing. And that simple frustration has actually grown into something much larger over the years, which is kind of like this passive-aggressive thing I have with God that, you know what, like, you don't really do that, and I get it, whatever, I just got to accept it, and, you know, whatever. Until I started studying the book of Ruth with our church, a woman, Naomi, who suffered greatly, Ruth, who suffered greatly, and something about that book, when I studied it, what I realized is that I've been complaining all these years that God doesn't speak enough. And what I have been ignoring is that God is slow to speak, quick to listen. In other words, my life, I mean, I can barely count the times that I felt outside of the scriptures that God really clearly, definitively just said, Alex, boom, with detail. I, I can't really recall too many times that God has done that, but I can account, I mean, millions and millions of times that according to the promises of God, that indeed in Christ, they were all yes and amen. That when I needed wisdom, he gave me wisdom. When I needed his provision, he gave me provision. When he needed his protection, he protected me. When I needed him to deliver me from the evil one, he delivered me. Every single time he has said yes and amen. I started doing what I started doing. I don't pray out loud anymore. Except when I'm at church, because, you know, I, like, I'm a professional Christian. I have to do that stuff once in a while. No, literally, I get paid to be a Christian, you know. But I started writing my prayers. That's what I do now. I write, I, I write letters to God. That's kind of how I do it. And because I started writing them, I realized, man, emotionally, I feel like God very rarely says yes to me. But when I started writing my prayers, yes and amen, yes and amen, yes and amen. as I reflect on the promises of God, as I pray and I do that, I realize that God is a God who hears his people. So our listening is not rooted in effectiveness. It, is not, it does not find its source in being a good person. No, it results like, like love that we do these things because it has been done for us. And we know how life-giving that is to be heard. We know how freeing that is to be understood. We understand and appreciate the efforts of a God or a person who takes great lengths to actually say, I want to hear what you mean when you say this. That is the basis of our listening, friends, not being good, not being effective, but to experience the love of God and then to share that with the world that is changing so fast when we have in our hands the thing that matters the most. So let me ask you a question. 
Would you rather have a God that texts you every day, that voicemails you, that pings you, DMs you, that gives you all kinds of emails and newsletters and updates and has a video vlog that he's communicating to you personally? Or would you rather have a God who is slow to speak and man, that God listens to you. He hears your heart. He knows what you're really asking for. You see, friends, the cross, in my opinion, is the greatest evidence that God truly hears the heart of the heart. And the reason why I say that is because what we're looking for from a God is presence, meaning P-R-E-S-E-N-T, gifts. We are looking for gifts, presence, rather than seeing the greatest gift, which is his presence, that he is with us. And because of this, friends, you and I, we, we go through life and, and we, we, we become very desensitized to our need for grace. But if we would pay attention to our hearts, if we would pay attention to our feelings, if we would pay attention to our anger, and I love that you guys are doing a series through the feelings. These are so important. If you would pay attention to those things, again, not in the name of self-help, but to really understand self so that you can understand God, so that you can understand self, and so that you can love him and love others and love yourself. then friends, what we would hear is a soul crying out for grace. I know the cross has become ritual. I know communion has become a thing that you, we all do. I understand the gospel itself has at times become somewhat stale in our lives, but it's because we're not listening. No wonder we don't listen to other people. We don't even listen to ourselves. Have you ever been asked how you're doing? I never know how to answer that question. I'm fine right now, right now, fine. In three seconds, I'm going to be annoyed because I got to hang out with you. But now, right now, this second, I'm fine. Everybody's fine. And yet no one is. And if we would simply listen to this world, to God, to ourselves, to the people around us, we would find that our hearts are crying for the gospel. And then when we see the cross of Jesus Christ, it's not just some strange, weird thing God did to save us. No, this was his answer to the cry of our hearts. The enslavement, the death, the destruction that sin wreaks on our lives. I remember doing premarital counseling for this one couple. The guy asked out the girl, and she's a very smart woman, so she was like, I don't, I don't date stupid people. Tell me your pedigree. Well, he said, I got this covered. I, grant, I graduated Stanford undergrad, Harvard Law. She said, you could be a trust fund baby for all I care. So she said, if you want to date me, we're going to go to Barnes & Noble's right now. We're going to take a Barron's SAT test, and I want to see your score. <laughs> so, he, But they did. He took the test. And then he got like a 15-something, and she was like, all right, you get one date. Well, obviously, it turned into more dates. They got engaged, and then they were seeing me for premarital counseling. 
And during the session, I remember asking him, why do you want to marry her? And she said, yeah. Why do you want to marry me? <laughs> I was like, whoa, girl, back up. Like, he said, it's a very hard question to answer. Because I could give you all these reasons why I'm marrying her, but it's not even about the reasons anymore. That all these things somehow come together and produces in me the inability to look forward in life and be happy without her. I was like, that is so good, man. <laughs> that is so good. I'm stealing that. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to footnote it. That's mine. That's mine. That is mine. I'm going to blog that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mark. I'm going to make money on that. And I looked at her and she was angry. She looked at him. Before I even asked her, she looked at him and said, unsatisfactory. I mean, she gave him an elementary school grade, not even an A, B, C. Like, O, U, N, needs improvement. He got the... He got the you. And then, and then I said, I was like, I, I literally, I, 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 I was like, what, what's your problem? But then and literally I, I realized, oh, 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 I know your problem. You wanted him to say, I love her. I'm marrying her because she's the most beautiful woman I've ever met in my life. She was like, mm-hmm. You wanted him to say that she is the smartest woman I've ever met, the nicest woman, the kindest woman, the most creative woman. And she said, absolutely. And I said, here's the problem with your request. Is that in the course of your marriage, you will encounter seasons, long seasons, where you will not feel as beautiful as you actually are. As intelligent as you are, as a grad school of one of the top five law schools in this country, you will not always be rational. You certainly will not always be kind because you haven't been kind here in the last 40 minutes we've met. <laughs> if he loves you for those things, what happens when those things aren't there? Girl, you need grace. You need to know that when you're being irrational, he will not leave you. You need to know that when you're being mean, and you know, you're, you know, you're pretty good at that, so he's still going to love you. You need to know that the sum of all these little things that you want are meaningless without grace. So friends, I hope that CCSE will reflect back and think upon all the things that God has been faithful and may what you, may what you hear resoundingly for, as a church, but also individually, is that man, my God, I, he talks funny, right? Let's, make, let's be clear about that. God talks funny. Jesus was very weird, okay? Great man, but very strange, Right? Your mom and dad are looking for you. Who are my mother and father? Except the one who does the will of my father in heaven. And you're like, that's not what I meant, man. 
talking about like Joe and Marika. Why do you always do this? It's so weird. God is God. Talk. He speak weird. Okay. But I'll tell you something. His speech flows out of a, in a, a profound truth that our lives, your church, testifies to the fact he listens very, very well. And may you look at the cross today in light of that truth. And may that guide your ministry going forward as you begin to think about how do we take this beautiful truth to an ever-changing world, to an ever-changing self, to an ever-changing relationship and systems and everything that makes this world go. I want to charge you as a church to remember that since you've been heard, rooted in that, in the cross of Jesus, that you might listen to others and to God and then take the gospel into the hearts of people like a missile right into their soul because, because you love you understand, and from there you speak truth and love slowly while you listen quickly. Let's pray. Father, we are terrible listeners. There's just no other way to say it. in the home, at work. God, we have operated under assumptions and biases and prejudgments. God, we have arrogantly turned our backs on conversations, assuming we've known exactly what people were talking about without ever really understanding what was said. And rather than labor in love as Jesus labored for us, God, we have tried to find a love that is efficient when what the gospel teaches is that it is slow and hard and difficult. It's a discipline. And I pray that CCSC will simply celebrate the God who, just how much you have heard them as a church. God, we are sitting and I'm standing, we're, we're right here in a building that is evidence, a physical structure, a physical evidence that you have heard them. And so much more through the life, the death, and resurrection of your son. So God, create in us the ability to discern how much you listen and then to give the gift of presence to other people. And in doing so, may we see clearly how and what we need to share with the people in our communities, our families, around us, that, then, that this message of the gospel will become something that really penetrates the people's hearts because it is delivered in love not delivered efficiently, not delivered waiting to give the message after everyone's done sharing their stuff, but a message that is shared because 
The person and the people around us are understood just as we have been understood. Thank you for your faithfulness. We also thank you for your faithfulness in advance for what you will do in the next seven years. I know with this leadership, I know with this church's convictions, and I know with its principles and its commitment to Christ and the gospel that the future is truly, truly bright for this church. And Lord, I'm not saying that to flatter them. I know it to be true. And so we ask that you would bless this church's ministry going forward, not only with the awareness of what has happened, but what will happen in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.